But then it comes down to sustainability. For how long can people do that? And really, let's step up as a society to make sure that everybody involved in the food system can live healthy, thriving lives. Welcome to the 282nd installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, regenerative agriculture, regional food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. While taking a drive through Midwestern farm country during the growing season, one cannot help but be struck by the sense of abundance. Endless fields of green plants stretch to the horizon, awaiting a fall harvest of plenty. The trouble is, almost all of those plants are either corn or soybeans. And once they're harvested, there's a good chance they'll be shipped somewhere else, where they can be used as either livestock feed or as a basic ingredient in ethanol. Meanwhile, farm-town grocery stores carry fruit, vegetables, meat, dairy products, and bread shipped in from hundreds, maybe even thousands of miles away. Like two ships passing in the night, all those commodities are exported out of our rural communities, while food for people's tables are imported in. On top of that, many local grocery stores and restaurants have closed over the years, forcing residents to travel great distances to shop or to settle for unhealthy food items from the local gas station. The result is not only lack of healthy food options, but also a massive leaking of wealth out of rural America. In many areas, the majority of farm income results from federal commodity subsidies, rather than direct sale of what the soil produces. Ironically, rural America's massive agricultural productive capacity is leaving its residents impoverished from an economic as well as human health point of view. That's why the Land Stewardship Project is diving deep into figuring out how to help farming regions develop community-based systems that provide markets for locally produced healthy food, thus creating profitable ways for farmers to manage the land in a regenerative manner. In recent months, LSP has been holding community listening sessions in Minnesota where farmers, small business owners, local government officials, and consumers have been sharing their insights about what is needed to create viable food systems in their regions. LSP staff members are taking that input and figuring out what policies, infrastructure, and resources are needed to develop food systems that support farmers, main streets, and good land stewardship. As part of this initiative, we're working with Ken Meter, one of the most experienced food systems analysts in the country, to compile data on the shortcomings of the current commodity-based, export-driven infrastructure and how creating local food webs could support a more sustainable system. I recently chatted with Amy Bacigalupo about this exciting work. Amy is co-director of LSP's programs department and is overseeing our food systems initiative. She has an insider's view of our food and farm system. She helped develop LSP's Farm Beginnings course, which has launched hundreds of farming operations over the years, many of which are participating in local food markets. In addition, Amy raises organic apples on an orchard she co-owns near Montevideo in western Minnesota. Amy started our conversation by describing LSP's history with food systems initiatives and why this work is so key to the development of regenerative farming systems that support rural economies. We've been, we do have a history of doing really good food systems work. I mean, a lot of it very community-based, some of it urban, some of it rural. Um, within the last five years, an important part of the work has really, this has come out of listening and organizing with members, is to change policy. Um, because I think, you know, our members are very clear that, like, you know, policy is really dictating right now how a lot of the funds are being used and whether they're being used 
to create the infrastructure, especially in rural, well, urban and rural communities that allow, you know, a small to mid-sized farmer or, or a, you know, um, urban farm to participate in the food system, to, you know, access markets, grow their business, um, do all the things that I know of need need to happen from a beginning farmer perspective, um, access land. So, I see our work in the last five years as predominantly focusing on policy initiatives. And one of the major ones was some really good organizing that led to the um, funding at MDA for the farm to school program. And that I know this in this last legislative session, we were, there was an increase in that funding as well. And so, yeah, really understanding that some of the work that's needed is about institutions changing and that we have the power to change those institutions and wielding that power. I would say, you know, I know from the beginning farmer perspective, more recently markets have become a more important um, barrier for farmers. We've been successful in getting more farmers out there, but like actually helping them access markets that build a business, a viable business has come up again and again and again in our organizing with beginning farmers. So um, we did some work on hosting an, a panel on innovative approaches to marketing. But one of the things that as I stepped into doing this work with food systems, community-based food systems, is that I don't want to put more work on the farmer at this point. <laughs> I think the farmers have enough to do. And so I want to work on um, infrastructure. And by that, I mean, it could be like, a new a new butcher in town or a processing facility but I also mean like people in communities who can work on fostering the relationships and the connections that are needed for farmers to more easily access these markets and consumers also to be able to buy local foods yeah in in the last two years two and a, two plus years the 10,000 pound gorilla in the room has been the pandemic and I wonder if that's affected a little bit the approach. I mean, the big narrative around that is, well, this shows just how fragile the food system is. But I guess does that, I guess that presents challenges as well as maybe some opportunities for this kind of community-based food work or regional food work. Our approach within LSP, what we're, what we're seeing emerging a lot, of, as you said, as a response to these crises that are happening. And it's not just the pandemic. Now we have, you know, shortages in grains because of the war in Ukraine. And we also have climate change. Um, so like all of these crises compounding have ha- helped people get more clear about wanting to have a say over their food systems. And in a community like West Central Minnesota or Southeast Minnesota, that's where food is growing. So it becomes really there's a lot of energy, I, I think, and our approach is really helping our communities that we're working in take more control over, over the food system, the food that's being grown around them and, and bringing that into, you know, schools, buying clubs, food shelves, um, restaurants. And so that's our approach. And it's really, I mean, there were several examples of when the pandemic hit of this kind of mutual aid response. And I think it's really growing out of that. It's not just like we we want, it's like we want to feed our, <laughs> ourselves with the food that's around us. And and because we care about each other and we care about the land and, and the, you know, way food is produced has a direct impact on the land and therefore all of us and the water. And, but we also want to 
be in relationship with each other around the food. So it's this understanding that a food system is really, it's not like this mathematical problem that we can just model and solve by like optimizing and centralizing and like, you know, like how we want to solve a lot of our problems. It's a, it's a, it's a vast and complex network of cause and effect relationships driven by human actions and interactions. And so, and our relationship with the land. And so it's really an understanding that that's where we want to start the work because LSP strength is like community building, network building, helping people be in relationship with each other, their food and the land. So that's kind of the heart of our approach. And we have a lot to learn, I would say, and like how, how, I mean, I think LSP, I, I'm, I specifically think this is a great approach because I think we know we have a track record of doing that in so many different ways, you know, building out a network for beginning farmers to get connected to mentors and, you know, the soil health work that's happening. Like these are, we're, we're building these, strengthening these networks of people um, that have the same values to do, to do work together that has a direct impact on them. So yeah, I think it's a strength and, and we will have a lot to learn because <laughs> it's going to take new, like, I think in this region, Southwest or Southwest and West Central Minnesota, we, we had a great network called Pride of the Prairie and it still exists kind of as a list, you know, here and there, but there's an opportunity now to think, rethink about that network, bring it back, kind of bring it back together, but add some new players, including food businesses. And then also um, some of the economic development agencies in the area. So that would, to me, that's a provides, it wouldn't just be farmers. It would really be more of the stakeholders involved in the food system. So that's what we're trying and um, we'll learn <laughs> and then we'll adapt. That's interesting how you brought up this whole issue of uh, how it's kind of touches on all of our, it's become, especially in recent years, it's touched on all our work. I see kind of the food system affecting, for example, our soil health work in that farmers are saying, well, if I'm building soil health, is there a way I can get paid through the marketplace or, or rewarded through the marketplace for building that soil health? And now we're seeing some new research connecting healthier soil with uh, more nutrient dense foods. I'm seeing it in farm beginnings because these, these beginning farmers, you know, they want to access a marketplace maybe for some of these practices these innovative practices are using obviously has connections to policy both federal state even local policy so it really does connect with all of our work more and more and i think the pandemic made that clear but just over the years it's kind of become that way it seems yeah and in southeast minnesota um so currently um we're really still in the early phases of this work i would say we're well, like a lot of the organizing, like we've done quite a bit, but there's more to do. And especially just we have staff in Western Minnesota right now. So we're a little further along than we are in Southeast. But in Southeast, what has already been brought up by Alex and the soil health team is this group of grazers that are already organized into a, into a committee that's focused on expanding a, markets. And so um, hopefully this next year, I hope to be able to meet with them several times and explore like what's LSP, how can LSP support their efforts to answer those questions for themselves and, and you know, what they're, then how can we leverage additional resources to help that group? I mean, they have the answers, right? They know what's going to work for them. And so LSP has the relationships with that group. And so how can we support them to find some of the solutions that are going to be effective. And, and again, like that's an incredible impact on, on land. If, if those grazers can be 
on soil health, but like largely like just a more perennialized um, landscape is going to have huge important impacts. And then just having that quality of food in the community available in schools, at restaurants, you know, at the farmer's market. So, but also I think one of the things that, again, I, they're probably running into is that if they each individually do all of the steps of that marketing, it's overwhelming to, for them. So what are the pieces that could be something that they collaborate around that make it easier um, for the farmer to be able to access those local markets? So we have this huge system set up for commodity produced foods that makes it real easy, but we need to figure out the pieces that need to be invested in. Um, and sometimes that's going to be like a group of people. Um, and sometimes it's a processing facility or an aggregation element within the, within the community. Well, and speaking of community, so one of the things you've been doing is having these listening sessions. And I know you have some others that are planned, but you've had a couple already. I was wondering if you could share what you've learned so far from these, from these listening sessions. What are folks, uh, what are some of the ideas and, and some of the issues that they're bringing up? What we're hearing so far is that people really share our understanding of the food system being created by people for, for people <laughs> and that they want to reclaim their role in making decisions about how their food is produced and have say over the social and cultural impacts of that, of that decision. So we're hearing a lot of desire to like work together collaboratively to, to have take back some of that decision-making that is currently feels like it's part of the big food system. And, you know, that's both in response to, as I said, just like seeing an opportunity. So knowing that if those, um, if, if we can um, sell more food locally, that money stays locally. And it's also about ethics of our values around the practices being used and wanting to have a say over that. I think it is also in response to the concerns of like seeing a very fragile food system and having been impacted about uh, through the pandemic, but also now other food shortages. So it's a com we're hearing all of those things. There's definitely a desire, a, a sense that like the current food system that we have is extractive and like wanting that decision-making power over food, over foods so that we have more say over the value that it, you know, that it has, we can maintain that for our communities. We're also definitely hearing like people's struggles, major struggles with finding processing for, especially for livestock. So there's, you know, big gaps there in terms of, uh, and that's, I think there's some that can be done on a community level around that. And certainly that's an idea that's coming up out here in the group that we've been convening with. But a lot of that is a policy issue and like how, because like, I think it would be hard for a small rural community to take on helping build a, out a new processing facility. It's really something that needs some public funding. I think part of what LSP can do is help build the case for that, especially if we're able to like demonstrate the demand on a local level for locally produced grass-fed beef or pork or any of those things we can help build the case to economic development authorities, to MDA, that these are dollars well spent. They'll be circulated in the community. Like it's a, it's a rural community um, development as well as kind of a food systems thing. Well, and we've certainly seen it. Uh, you were talking about the meat processing thing. You know, we promote policies and innovative practices that are trying to integrate more livestock onto the land. And it, it 
runs into a barrier if they can't figure out a way to process that that livestock, especially locally and access access markets. It's just it's like we do all this great background work with livestock, but then uh, we get to the point where there's that one pinch point in the system. Yeah, the other thing that we've heard, well, heard out here is people want to be con- like they want to be connected to each other through the food which just makes sense. It's just like, that's who we are as humans, you know? Um, but also ideas that have really come up strongly out here. And I think there's interest also in Southeast Minnesota is around um, local processing for small grains and being able to develop a way, like a very small value chain that can go from some of the, so all, a lot of the organic production that happens out here and even not organic, but just like regenerative egg practices re- need to have that small grain element in there um, as part of their rotation. But a lot, most of that all gets then shipped outside the region. Well, we have like emerging food businesses, bakeries, restaurants, all of looking for some locally produced bread, for example. So that's one. And there are several other emerging like opportunities around, you know, barley and um, specifically barley and wheat that have some exciting potential. There's a lot more research needed. And Kernza is also one of those, but a lot more research needed. And especially you know, to help think about that on a, a rural, local rural scale, like how could you produce, how could you bring some of that production that's currently kind of being shipped out? Like, how can we not create, how can we expand small grain production in our region while having some of that stay as much as possible, stay locally? So not like recreating that commodified value chain for small grains trying to create a more localized one is an example of some of the ideas that people have really brought forward the other idea that's coming forward a lot are people wanting to start small restaurants in rural communities focused on local foods and and finding it very difficult and finding it very difficult even to understand the different places they can order food how can they order food that aligns with their interest in organic or sustainable or local so those are areas that we're people are bringing up in, in our listening sessions and, and interested in, you know, what we can do together to answer some of those questions and see if we can move things forward. A third component is just there are buying clubs organized out in our region and there's an opportunity to kind of capitalize on some of those buying clubs to look at what people are ordering and see if there's an opportunity to substitute in local foods for in that, in that ordering system that's already up and running. I was just talking to Ken Meter, who I know you're working with on some of this this stuff. He he does a lot of analysis of local food webs, he calls them, and has done a lot of economic number crunching and kind of made it something that's um, understandable to the average folks and people. And, and he's worked with communities all over the country. But what I got from him was there's a lot of great information out there now showing not only the challenges and some of the downsides to this current uh, commodity-based system that we got out there and, and how it's costing our communities, but also the opportunities if we could drive more towards that community-based food system or regional food system and kind of the uh, economic opportunities, kind of the wealth generation and keeping that wealth local. It seems like there's just some really good information out there. People are paying attention to it. And there's some, both Ken and some other folks are really coming up with some good stuff that can kind of 
help these communities get really get inspired and maybe get the policymakers boost them a little bit and get them to the incentive to say, hey, yeah, here's some pol- here's some policies that would maybe just here and there we could either tweak something or do some overhauls that could really push this in, in a different direction. Yeah, um, Ken, so Ken has done um, a meeting with us where he presented some of that data and like we've been building the, out these relationships with different communities, EDA staff and city managers and um, we had kind of one of those city managers attend one of the meetings and have a aha moment. I mean, unfortunately, some of the, the case for it is that we need to come up with some new economic development for rural places because a lot of the wealth that is there now is not being coming from farming any longer other than rent that people are paying on farms. Um, so it's, it's a opportunity. <laughs> And, and, and I think there are the case, like, because of Ken's work and others, there, there are examples we can point to Maricopa, um, Arizona. Uh, I I was reading an example, his book is a great place to go for some of those examples in Indiana, um, where the communities have recognized rural communities, Montana is another really good example that has worked with Ken and out of that process developed, you know, positions in their economic development um, agency focused on local foods and the promotion of local foods. And so I think um, it's key, like, you know, our communities need to kind of do an about face in terms of um, how we're thinking about like the economic models of the past are not going to work in the future. And, um, and local foods is a real opportunity. One of the things we're interested in out here, there, there used to be, we have a visitor and relocation publication that comes out and it used to have local foods featured in there and it that has not been in there in a couple of years and that's one seems like one easy thing that could happen that could help make the case for not only to community members that are here now um, but also you know people who are considering moving out to our region about you know what's what do you have access to out here that's um, important and valuable. I will say one of the other things that comes up in our listening sessions a lot is like people are struggling to find local foods, like people who are interested in purchasing them, even though there are a ton of like websites you can go to, you know, to local harvest or other places, those connections aren't always happening or aren't happening to the level that, you know, I think there's a lot of interest on the part of community members, but right now we're just relying on kind of word of mouth for people to find out where where they can purchase local foods and so that's a that seems like a big gap and I think it's a pretty common one across rural areas of like people not knowing how to how to find those local resources but kind of what are the next steps here going in I guess the near future and maybe even further beyond that uh, where are we at with that like I said because we have some staff already working on this in Western Minnesota, we're, we're a little bit further along and we're really wanting to pilot um, a project that we, we are going to be working with a graduate student from the Center for Urban and Regional Affairs to study the network out here and, and, and look for like both kind of like get it documented, but then understand the relationships between people in the net. And when I say network, I mean kind of like this idea of the community food web and then identify strengths and identify gaps and 
start to do some planning around how to address those gaps and along some um, smaller chain value chains. And so some of the things that I mentioned already, we think we'll be doing some planning around small, like how to build out some potential for value, like localized value chain for small grains. We'll be working with the buying club to expand the the members of the buying club, but also like the access to local foods through that buying club. And then we're also hoping to start um, working with the Upper Sioux community who's interested in buying local foods for their food shelf. So to help connect local food opportunities in that way. In the Driftless region, we, you know, we need to ha- be, in, be more engaged or you know, have those listening sessions. And then also I'd like to move forward with supporting the group of grazers that are already organized and wanting to move forward with some level of collaborative marketing. I think we're thinking of this work that we're doing with a graduate student as a as a pilot and to see see what we learn through that process whether it's a valuable process to do that kind of research early on in a you know in our investment in a, a community-based approach and if it's helpful we think it might be something we'd like to try in other maybe in the driftless region as well are you through the either the listening sessions or some of the other research you're doing around this and some of the work in the community are you finding that like local officials and some local folks are a little bit surprised at just how much wealth is leaving their community under the current food system? I think that's something, you know, it's like the fish doesn't know they're, this, the water they're swimming in a little bit, that it's become so insidious a little bit that people just don't notice it. Yeah, I think that's true. And I, I mean, I also want to just say, I think that like in general, one of the areas that needs strengthening is just even local governance. (laughs) So I think that there can be quite a bit of turnover in in some of these positions at that local economic development authority or even city planning and management. And, And that just makes it hard to kind of get the bigger picture. And so I think it's really important, you know, the work that we do really work on helping whoever is in that position really get grounded in the community and, and understand some of the things that have been ha- trends that have been happening over a long time that are harder to see if you just kind of are new to a place. And then I think on the other side, if somebody has been here for a long time, you know, they may not be as, yeah, it would be, it's kind of like they've already constructed their understanding of how things are. So like changing that, like we need something like Ken showing data <laughs> to help really make it clear, like we we need to change dramatically what we're doing, you know, and we have such a rich network already and the potential to grow that network of people leading off on these businesses. We have an opportunity to do that and, and to make our region. I do know a story of someone who moved to this region because they got, when they came to visit, they, this was at a time when that visitor guide had all of the local farmers listed in it. They saw that and they moved here and they have been here ever since. So I do think this is about, you know, our community stepping up and owning that this is a value to our community and then, you know, presenting that to, to the world, (laughs) to ourselves and to the world. And, and, and then actually, I will say, I think that maybe not so much on the like economic development. I mean, that's really the area we need to work on, but like I attended a local food evening at, with our local NRCS staff that they organized. 
So while like, well, you know, EDA might be a little bit just catching on. I mean, we do have local food s- stuff happening uh, from a lot of different branches of USDA. So that helps. That really helps. Like, I didn't have to organize the event. I could just attend. <laughs> and it was well attended. There were like 30 to 40. And it's a it's something that happens every year. So like, that's, you know, um, great. That's a great manifestation of, of the fact that this work has been going on for a long time, so much so that we've got state and federal agencies promoting it. In this kind of initial work that you've been doing on the regional food systems through the listening sessions and the research and working with some uh, folks in the community, is there any, one or two things that have really surprised you that, uh, I mean, you, you, you're a farmer yourself, you've, you're part of the local food system. You also have uh, been very involved with farm beginnings over the years. And so you've worked with a lot of farmers who are part of the local, uh, local direct to consumer markets, that kind of thing. But I was wondering if there's anything that's kind of surprised you about that uh, you didn't, you didn't realize uh, maybe is going on or, or challenges or opportunities or whatever related to all this. I mean, this has been just very exciting, I would say. Like, again, seeing some of the Economic Development Authority, some light bulbs go off, I feel like is very encouraging and somewhat surprising. <laughs> but it doesn't come without, like, being in relationship with those folks, you know. So I am hope that that is encouraging to me. I, I'm also impressed with how much food producers like how committed farmers and like food business owners are to getting local foods uh, they're going above and beyond <laughs> to build this food system and take you know like unfortunately that means it's you know they're taking the risks and they're also you know not necessarily reaping up livable weight <laughs> from it so that's a challenge that I'm really eager to address because I I want all of all of the people who want to see this happen be able to thrive and their businesses thrive. But all too often we're asking people to do that and it's asking too much in terms of them being able to sustain their business and their families and and continue the good work, like in the case of farmers, like just doing good farming. <laughs> That's enough. Our communities should be like, That's good, you've done it. You don't also have to market and process and I know some farms want to do that. I've just seen in my history, like that is the piece that becomes too much over time and takes a toll. And that's hard on people's lives. That's not so surprising, but it is amazing. And to me that people struggle at, you know, at a cost to themselves to to make this change possible. That's what keeps me (laughs) wanting to do this work and make it not such a struggle for people. Well, yeah, like you said, they're willing to do it at a cost themselves. It shows how important it is that, that it right. is a priority, that we're on the right track. But then it comes down to sustainability, you know, like for how long can people do that? And really let, let's step up as a society to make sure that everybody involved in the food system can live healthy, thriving lives. For more on the Land Stewardship Project's community-based food work, see the podcast page for Ears of the Ground episode number 282 at landstewardshipproject.org. 
If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-816-9342. By the way, it helps us greatly if you can give Ear to the Ground a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you utilize. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening.